What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Opening the Vault. I'm one of your hosts, Ben, and as always, I am joined by Ryan. How's it going, Ryan? Hi, I'm well. And of course, I am joined by my podcast host from the start, Sam. How's it going, Sam? Hi, it's going pretty good. Well, I am excited to say that we are talking about the Black Cauldron today, but before we get into that, you can hear us wherever you listen to your podcast and we're very exciting news. We are going to be up on social media very soon. Uh, we have that hopefully starting next week. That's at least the plan. So you'll be able to see us on Twitter, on Instagram, and maybe even TikTok, depending on how much time we have. So like I said, we watched The Black Cauldron this week. It runs at 80 minutes long, and it felt so much longer to me. Um, I don't know about other people, but oh my god, this thing dragged. And it was released July 24th, 1985. Yes, we did a little bit of a jump because we are doing our Halloween episode. Because I personally love Halloween. And we wanted to do something a little special. Isn't that right, guys? Oh, yes, yeah. Special. It's like a Christmas special, but spooky. <laughs> yeah. And what's spookier than a movie that <laughs> cost $44 millions to make and then bombed out so hard at $21 million dollars in box office revenue, the biggest box office slump for Disney ever. Um, just, yikes. yeah, big yikes. Um, before yeah, we jump, oh, putting, go ahead. Sam. Oh, uh, it ended up putting the entire animation department for Disney because at that point they'd opened the parks. Um, it, it, they put it in jeopardy. So everyone was kind of worried about losing their jobs after this movie <laughs> came out. I'm not surprised. Like, I don't know how, after making this, that they thought it was going to do great at the box office. And I'll get into some facts later that will kind of back up what I just said there. But before we get into that, I want to say that we didn't answer the question of the day last week. So we're going to start with that. Uh, Sam, you remember what the question is, correct? Yeah, we're talking our favorite nostalgic treats. And I thought we could maybe narrow it down because in my mind I couldn't. But how about our favorite nostalgic Halloween treat? Like, what did you want when you trick-or-treated? Okay. Uh, okay. Ryan, how about we start with you? Okay, so when I was... Well, I'm still now. Uh, I very much am fond of Kit Kat. And now I eat it kind of like the Kourtney Kardashian way. You know, if you've ever watched that video. But yeah, yeah I really have wanted Kit Kat. Like, whenever I would go out trick-or-treating. But, you know, my mom, she'd always be like, it's dangerous. And she'd always take my candy. And then she'd always, like, take a few. <laughs> to be fair you that's why you become parents right so you can steal your kids candy just buy your own candy you have the money <laughs> at least my mom had the money <laughs> awesome well for me it's gonna sound weird but um i don't know if they still had them later on but they used to have these tootsie roll lollipops and i don't Ew. know why but as a kid i loved them because you got the sweetness of the lollipop candy on the outside and once you broke through you had like the awesomeness of like the chocolatey tootsie roll inside oh like i loved yeah. those as a kid and no one I'm else sorry, liked I them just said, Ew. that's totally <laughs> fair no one else liked them no, so i always I got to take like all them. of them uh but yeah so those were always my favorite on halloween and i was always so happy because no one again my brother didn't like them and my friends didn't so i always got to like take all of them oh. 
have fought as kids because I loved those too. It's not my favorite candy, um, but I loved like the cherry or the ras the red flavor. I liked the red flavor and the blue flavor. <laughs> no, no. They were good. They and were. So what I what I looked for in my like trick or treat bag was two things. I loved the fruit flavored Tootsie Rolls because they had like the vanilla, mm, yeah, the green apple, and the like strawberry raspberry. Yep. Um, those were so good. The vanilla Tootsie Roll is probably my favorite, I will say. Um, but a green apple, like chewy candy is probably my go-to. Like I love green apple Laffy Taffy the oh. most. You have different tastes in candy than me. But, uh, well, my ultimate favorite one is the Midnight Milky Way because I think the Milky Way Ooh, is my yeah. ultimate candy bar. I love nougat. I love caramel. And the Midnight Milky Way is a straight up vanilla nougat, a really good soft caramel, and it's covered in dark chocolate. It's so good. What's I don't funny? Like Milky Way either. We actually don't have Milky Way up here. You don't? No. Oh, I think uh, they're called Mars bars. We have there. Mars bars up here, uh, which is somewhat the same, but also somewhat different. But uh, I do love Milky Ways. I when I used to date someone in the states, I would always get them when I went down. Oh, you guys are completely different tasting candy than me. Yeah. And it's actually funny that you bring up... Oh, I love chocolate. It's a textural thing for me in Melbourne. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Too much salt. And it's funny that you bring up the uh, flavored titrols. I forgot all about those, but uh, for people who maybe, again, weren't around during that time or just never have had a flavored titsy roll, they're basically like high chews. Like, that's what I would equate them to. I like high chew. They do not dare... Yeah, completely different. They have the same. I'm gonna hell. They're both Hi-chus chewy. Got citric acid. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Hi-chus yeah. are softer for one. Eh, depends on how you eat your uh, tootsie roll, but uh, yeah, I guess that's true. But that's kind of the type I would equate it to. I would say chews are like chewier, and they have like more initial. Um, you have to bite a little harder to start mm. chewing on them. And they have citric acid in them that makes your, like, that's what makes your mouth water when you chew them. Okay. They're more juicy. They are very No, they're, they're not juicy. They just have citric well, acid. The, the, <laughs> they feel more juicy. <laughs> they feel more juicy. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the candy equivalent of Instagramming catfishing. You know? Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> and then I will say that high chews have like so much more sugar than the um, Tootsie Roll fruits. Uh, True, it's kind of insane how how much more sugar is in a high chew. To me, Tootsie Roll candy feels like an old timey candy that, like, I'm not trying to be ageist or anything, but that like your grandparents would like. You know, I'm younger like, than you. Like, how is that ageist? <laughs> No, but no, 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 because I'm saying like, oh, it's like us candy that me, someone who's relatively young, doesn't like, but I feel like a grandparent would like kind of thing, you know? Okay, I see. You know what I, I would equate yeah. uh, like Werther's to that, but also, do you guys remember those uh, little caramel squares and they came in like individually wrapped uh, in the clear plastic? Yeah, you I didn't like those know. either. Yeah, no, like those, either. those are those awful. Oh, or I hated those. Guys... Did your grandmas ever give you that like hard candy with the wrapper that looked like a strawberry? And then like you would crunch yes. on it and there was like goo inside? Yep. No. You know what candy my grandma gave me? She gave me cough drops. That's what she gave me. 
amazing. <laughs> oh, you know, like the vitamin C ones yep. too that are like kind of like cough drops. They gave me that. Oh, <laughs> um, you know, oh my gosh. All right. But well, also, oh, sorry. I was but, just going to uh, say, well, if anyone wants to send us candy, well, you can't right now, but eventually we would love to have some of that. I'm sure. Uh, who doesn't love a little candy to brighten their days? Yeah, we will force feed Ryan the vanilla Tootsie Roll. <laughs> hey, I'll do it. I'll do it for a video or for a podcast. Oh my god, so next year, that's what we should do. We should have a part of a thing, just a live tasting of these old-ass candies, if we can find you them. Just have me taste everything I hate. <laughs> yep. I'll, I'll do find it. a way to get you some Milky Ways. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, love them. Well, wait, what chocolate bar do you like, Ryan? Other than Kit I Kat. like Kit Kat. It's not chocolate bar. I like Reese's. Okay. I like, I like Almond Joy. Um, I like, okay, I like Almond Roca, you know, like the toffee with the chocolate oh, covered, yeah. like almonds. Yeah, I love Almond Roca. I feel like I like things that have like a crunch, like okay. a crisp, a crunch. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, I want to add something to my answer because I do love a crunchy. If you can like coffee um, crisp, ooh, I don't know if you need friends. Hershey's has these things year round called Hershey's treasures and they're just little blocks of Hershey's chocolate in like dark milk. And then they have this toffee um, milk chocolate and that it is good. so good. It's got bits of toffee in it and it's got like a little bit of a caramel flavor to the chocolate. So mm. that's my added thing. <laughs> wow. Nice. Well, if I really want to be bougie, I really, really like Ferrero Rocher. Ooh, oh, those are yeah. so good. Yeah, whenever I got those as a child, though, that was like a treat. I was like, you know how everyone like eats them like layer by layer to make it oh, last longer. Yeah. I would do that hands yep. down. Oh man, love yeah. for our All right, well, let's get into the Black Cauldron. Uh, I've got a couple of movie facts here to again back up what I said earlier. So, like we said, it was a complete disaster of a movie. It took way too much money to make. There were huge delays. Uh, and even more so after it was released, it took, oh, what was it? 17 years before they actually brought it to VHS because it was so scary and they didn't want to like bring that back, especially after the, uh, the flop that it was. Uh, it was also their first foray into a PG movie. So this is the first one that was not G and it was almost rated at PG 13, which probably would have affected their numbers even more. Um, some very interesting things in here. Like it's, it is a scary movie, right? Like it's scary. If I was a kid watching this, I would be terrified. And it was apparently even scarier. They had to change the ending of this movie too, which caused more delays because it made children flee in terror. Uh, and they, like, yeah, peed apparently. The, they peed the seats of the theater. Yeah. Like, really? like that is so intense. Like, I can't, I, I would love to see the original ending. Like, I would love to see the original cut because it's actually never been put out there. Like, there Did was... Say, like, like an overview of what the what the ending is? Uh, no, it actually doesn't. It just talks about okay. uh, that there's a significant delay uh, because of the negative reaction that was done in test screenings. Oh. Uh, Apparently there's like 30 minutes of deleted footage. Yeah, that was never released. Deleted animation. You can definitely tell that there's been something taken out of it. And I will say, this movie would have scared me as a kid, 
but I was like a huge scaredy cat as a kid, but I still wanted to watch the scary movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have this whole thing. So with the Princess Bride, do you know when they go into the fire swamp and Wesley goes, oh, oh yeah. the Earl U.S.'s? I don't believe they exist. And then all of a sudden, like this giant rat's thrown on him, right? Mm. Yeah. That would that. scare me so bad as a kid that I would get up, walk out of the room and like, barely listen to what happens and then i would come back when that scene was over <laughs> yeah i did the same thing yeah, with no. labyrinth like that i was me a scary cat too you know the thq sound that big like booming like the duh, oh my god like the oh, yeah. that scared me <laughs> it's like, behind too. the couch with yep. my hands over my ears yeah but i feel like if i watched this movie as a little kid because i watched it like more as like a, a preteen the first time and that's why i have nostalgia for it uh but if i watched it as a little kid i think i would have been scared but then like a couple months later i would be asking to watch it again because it has the things that i really liked as a kid like it has that well uh this mythology that i was really into it's high fantasy i loved it Mm, yeah I could see that. I could see you doing that. Yeah. And then I feel like, so we touched on this in the episode when we introduced what we were talking about for this uh, week's episode, but the Black Cauldron, the movie is based off of two books in a five part series. And they took the plots of the first two books and mashed them together. And here's the thing is they, you can really tell in the movie, it feels really disjointed, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And the books, I don't remember being that disjointed. And what's really interesting is, so we have a lot of very different names that a lot of people aren't really used to hearing. We have like Princess Elanwi and uh, Fluter, right? And uh, I'm trying to pull up my research as I'm talking, sorry. (laughs) But... uh... There we go. Um... But these names are all Welsh, and that's because these books were based on Welsh, myth- Welsh mythology. So these books were written by Lloyd Alexander, who he's not Welsh, um, but he got exposed to the culture during World War II when he was, um, gosh, I wrote it down, sorry. <laughs> Don't look at me, except no one's looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically, I am. Yeah. So here we go. All right. Sorry. So Lloyd Alexander, the author, was an army combat intelligence during World War I, and he did his training in Wales. And that's when he sort of got exposed to the Welsh culture, and he particularly fell in love with the castles and the folklore of the country. He always was interested in mythology, so he based the stories themes and ideas and the culture uh on welsh folklore usually the stories of the Mab- mabin ogion it's m-a-b-i-n-o-g-i-o-n and this is a huge collection of welsh and celtic mythology from the 12th and 13th century so this is when they still had their oral tradition so it's very interesting early literature of britain and they're very beautiful and i really want to uh, read them now. And actually, a lot of uh, the King Arthur myths are in the later, more popular versions of this book. 
So that's like the kind of stuff we're talking about. And mm -hmm. you can really tell in the books and the cover art that they're from the same sort of era as a lot of the King Arthur myths are from, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what's really sad is these books are genuinely very good. I haven't read them in a very long time, but I have good memories. And the Black Cauldron, in the second book in the series, got a Newbery Medal in 1966. So oh, cool. they were recognized as good books. And what's really sweet is he planned, so this author planned to write three books at the most. He wrote five. And um, he dedicated the last novel. Hold on, it was a really cute quote. I'm finding my quote. Please cut out all this stuff. This is so stupid that I have this prepared. <laughs> okay. Magic of editing. So, the last book of the series was published in 73, and it was dedicated to Friends of Prydain. So Prydain is the fictional world that these books are based in, who promised to read more if I would write more. And it's like a collection of short stories based in these this world that he created, and it's really, it's really sweet. It is really sweet. Um, yeah, and what something really weird I found out is there's a video game of the Black Cauldron movie. So in 1986, okay. they made uh, the video game shortly after King's Quest came out. Mm -hmm. And it was designed by, by Al Lowe uh, of the company Sierra Online. And they also, this company also made the Dark Crystal video game. Mm -hmm. That doesn't surprise me, though, because a lot of liter literary works, they do get video games. Like, I played yeah. the Vampire Diaries video game. <laughs> There's even like a the the first movie we did on here, Snow White. There's a Snow White video game. Yep. Uh, I, especially we'll get into more of that later because Disney started pumping on these video games like crazy. Um, but yeah, it was interesting because this is actually the only one of two that Sierra Games ever made that was based on a movie. Mm -hmm. Even to this day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And some there's some three really cool things about this movie for disney and i think actually probably at least one of them was a reason that it didn't do well so the first is this is actually disney's first non-musical animated movie uh as we can see and we'll probably talk about this later but yeah there's not a single song it's just pure movie which is something that they had never done before um i think that's really big for them no. I don't think it needed it, but I don't think it would have hurt to maybe have a couple, like, songs, maybe not sung by people, but I think it could be cool to have, like, maybe more music. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Because I was going to say, how would that add to it? Yeah. And I, think... I felt like it was a little too quiet overall. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. the only thing with that is that Disney became known as kind of the musical like the animated musicals, that's what they did. That's all their mus uh, animated stuff was. It was all musicals. And then they bring out something that isn't. So it was, I think it probably jarred people a bit. And when maybe they got reviews from friends or even newspapers or anything coming from it being like, oh, well, Disney's not doing it this time. So maybe families were like, well, I'm not going to bring my kid to see this thing that isn't a musical because that's what we like love it about was Disney. Too different. Yeah. And here's the thing is they, they didn't just change the fact that it was a non-musical. They changed, like, the whole tone. Obviously, yeah, they different. 
dark elements in their books uh not books movies like they do have a couple dark scenes especially like with sleeping beauty and snow white they have like these horrible chase scenes like Mm -hmm. the first movie they talk about cutting out a child's heart you know but this was just like almost all dark yeah and and have like a horrible ending and even though like i mean we talk about we talked about uh ichabob crane which is dark it is a dark story and everything but still did better than this right so it just it's a weird yeah. kind of contrast about like why this did so much worse than anything else and uh well i think well, I mean, crane was so goofy that it wasn't that's i don't know i was freaked out by yeah, that when, as a kid it is, it's kind of like tonally i don't know i don't dissonant i don't know how to yeah. describe it but like there's different because like uh in my research i i found that there is the old garb of disney animators and then the new garb of Disney animators, like the old guard, the ones who are alive or who worked with Walt Disney himself, they wanted to make it all like happy, bright and light. And then like, which makes no sense because the source material, but then like the new guard, like Tim Burton, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the, those people, they wanted to make it more like true to the books. Yeah. Oh, so you get like this weird mix of like this and that, you know, you're right. Which I will get into. Uh... Yeah, I totally agree. And another so really cool thing about this is that it's actually the first time that they use CGI uh, in their animated feature. So, like, that's a huge thing. Like, I might not like the movie overall. Like, we'll go into that later. But it's really cool that they brought in this new style that actually gets... You can see going forward. Like, you can see this same kind of style in Sword in the Stone. And movies around that time adopted mm-hmm. this kind of... Try to be a little edgier try to have like those cleaner lines and that kind of stuff and it was very interesting to see that switch to have some cgi in there like you could tell from even like the smoke from the cauldron like that was cgi'd um mm. and yeah i liked them and i thought the animation was i will say this movie is very beautiful it was incredibly ambitious especially the scenes near the end with the dead soldiers raised mm-hmm. um and i loved I will say my favorite actor, voice actor in all of this was John Hurt as the Horned King. I think he mm-hmm. did like such a great job making him so foreboding. And just yeah. a comment on you saying you didn't overall like the movie. I think that this movie today, if you didn't see it as a kid and don't have that nostalgia factor and you like didn't read the books or anything, you don't have any touchstones to it. Uh, I think it falls into the same pit as Labyrinth does. Yeah. I think it's like an either, oh, this is really good, or eh, it's okay. Because mm-hmm. you don't think it's a bad movie, right? You think that, like, it's obviously people tried. Yeah, and I think uh, that it's yeah. less about it being a bad movie to me. It's more that it just, it felt so disjunct. It felt really long. Like, it felt like, like it dragged. Unfinished. Yeah, and it felt yeah. very unfinished. Like, even the last scene, okay. like, makes no sense. Because, uh, like, it's not explained at all. Like, it's just, all right, it's over. Yeah. I'm like, what? Okay, but... Well, that's also because it's coming in part of, like, they did two books in a series, mm-hmm. you know, so... Because, and there's also, I mean... like, there's whole characters that are just completely omitted from the story. Like, in the first book, Taryn does lose the pig very early on. That's, like, the first part of the movie with the pig um, being lost and him having to go find her or, like, take her into safety. That's, you know, that's totally normal. However... There's this brave knight that comes out of nowhere um, when the pig has a prophecy and he's like summoned to the pig 
area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a farm, you know, mm -hmm. but he's summoned and he helps Taryn find the pig and helps him hide from the Horn King. And he's like his protector. And oh. it makes so much more sense. Yeah. Because, yeah, I get why like a little boy would want to be a knight. That's normal. But he wanted to be a knight and then he meets a knight. And basically the, that part of the story is almost like he's learning the real truth of what it is to be a knight because this guy um, is talking about death because he's running from the Horned King as well because his army like decimated his regiment basically. Mm -hmm. and he's, um, he's going at this alone because all of his brethren have been killed. Wow. Yeah. It, it introduces a very serious thing because the idea of being a knight is so romanticized to Taryn and then he gets this dose of reality. Yeah. So they completely like omitted this whole thing that makes it like a real know, story. It just adds a layer of depth and like yeah. more character background. And then like was Gurgi in the original book? Yes, he was. Ugh. Okay. I was about to like um, say you fucking I will say he was kind of freakier in the books. Uh I would definitely equate him to sort of like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, where oh. Um, he's just like a creature and he's sort of described as this giant black mass of fur and you don't really see like a mouth or eyes initially. So I do like that they made him cute in the movie. I think, you know, that was definitely probably the old no, guard. No, I it. don't. I don't. I think the black fur creature would have been a lot better than that like koala rat creature. Yeah, that's annoying was... with like the eight-bit voice. And he was kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> And I will say they do give him like a funky voice in the books, but I, when I first read it, I, and when I was sort of rereading it, I skimmed it before we came here. I would say like, I don't really, I didn't have that sort of weird voice in the head. Cause it was like a weird, how would you describe Gurgi's voice? You know? Um, the, uh, auto-tuned, like yeah. auto-tuned mess, like distorted. Yeah. But it was just, it's... it was like. Somehow it's, too high pitched and too low pitched at the same time. It was like you know? they mixed Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse together and then they brought down oh. the octave. Yeah, exactly. It was just too off from what I expected. And you kind of expect a character that looks kind of cute to have like a, either a cute voice or something really, really far away from a cute voice. Mm -hmm. uh, and they like tried to go halfway in between and I think they failed. Yeah. But uh, there's so much in the stories that it was just like, if you have that, because there's even a king that is fighting the horned king who's like supposedly good. And then we go through this whole thing of the king being corrupted. Um, mm. And also, there's a different villain in the first book and the second book. The horned king's the villain in the second book. And actually, when they were making this, they were going to have a different villain. So the horned king wasn't going to be the villain overall. But I guess they yeah, switched it to... It seems... Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the they were taking most of the plot from the first book and then they like were almost taking the aesthetics from the second one. Because mm -hmm. um, he does like get the sword and everything in the first book and he's on his way to being a knight and there's like this whole corruption thing. And then the Black Cauldron plot is happening in the book titled The Black Cauldron. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um... But, oh, you know what? I... I'm like kicking myself for not think thinking to write down the name of the other villain, but 
it was just like a more copy paste type thing. Mm -hmm. And then also I feel like people might watch this movie and be like, oh, this has all been done before. But this is also, I was talking to Ryan about this earlier. It falls into the trap of Dune as well. So everyone like reads Dune for the first time um, or watches the movie and they're like, oh, wow, well, this is pretty tropey and everything. And what they don't realize is like it created the tropes troops were originated here yeah and they're going to be deconstructed in the other books mm-hmm. like Dune gets so crazy yeah. as the books go on um but initially the first book was written as like a pretty basic science fiction like hero's journey type thing mm-hmm. and then the following books deconstruct what it means to be that kind of a ruler that these heroes end up to be in the end of the story yeah yeah Awesome. Well, let's jump into the plot. But before that, we are going to put our commercial in here and get a word from our sponsor. And we're back. There we go. Uh, So let's jump into the plot. In the land of Perdane, Taryn, a teenage boy, and his assistant pig keeper on a small farm of Oh, I'm going to I'm going to murder all these names, so please forgive me. It's Care as well. She's difficult. Care Dalben, um, oh, home great. of the Enchanter, dreams of becoming a famous warrior. Dalben learns that the evil Horned King is searching for the mo- mystical relic known as the Black Cauldron to bring back his invincible army of undead warriors. The Cauldron oh. born, quote unquote. Yeah, the cauldron born. And then he learns this. So Dalvin learns this because the pig that Terran's the assistant pig keeper of is prophetic. So it can stick its face into a bowl of water and it can bring forth visions of the future or find something for you. Which is super cool. I want a pig that tells me the future. I want so that pig. super cute. Plus, he's, and then, it, it's so cute. And then horrible. I also, I really want to get a pig to name Henwen. Like, that's a great name. Mm-hmm. And then that I would also name. say, um, oh shit, uh, I lost my place in my notes again. Oh my god. <laughs> it's been a long day, you guys. I just went to like 10 different meetings. <laughs> um, but in the beginning, when Heron is sort of imagining what it's like to be like a famous knight, there's also this weird i detected a little bit of jealousy that taryn had for henwin once it's revealed that she's like a special pig mm-hmm. it's oh, like, because taryn oh, wants to be special. be special yeah yeah like yeah. he doesn't hate the pig but he's like a little jealous yeah that someone around him is special and he's not which i get like he's a kid who hasn't felt like that yeah, it's like and when you, if you found it, you're like best friend's a genius, and you're just like, all right, well, now he's going to get all the attention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, as you said, Taryn is daydreaming, and of course, Henwen gets captured by Gwynthaint. Big dragon. This big dragon um, creature, which is super terrifying. Chase. Yeah. And also, this is the first real blood we see in a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Well, we haven't seen, like, the ones in between Sleeping Beauty and this. But this is the first real blood that we've seen on the podcast. Like, yeah. Karen yeah. gets beat up. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he follows 
So he follows uh, the dragon creature and Henwen to the Horn King's castle and meets the pestering dog-like creature, Gertie, who we talked about, who is just god annoying. I, I'll be honest, as soon as this creature came onto the screen, I basically had to pause this movie and walk away because I was like, Me I too. hate I, this character. I, yeah, I, I kind of I think I've seen it enough times that I can tune it out. Um, but he's not nearly as annoying. Well, he's pretty annoying in the books too, but like not this bad because you know his voice isn't in your head. True. It's not just Gurgi. I hate all characters of this type. I don't like Gurgi. I don't like Jar Jar Binks. I don't like Chibiusa. Oh, oh I, my god! I, yes, I, that's who I would equate this to too. Would be Jar Jar Binks. I. Okay. Well, hold on, guys. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks is a racial caricature. And Gurgi's not a car- racial caricature of anything. So I wouldn't compare them too closely, but I do agree that he is annoying. No, no but the characters that are put in to be, like, comedic or, like, cute, but then they're, like... And they fall short They, they don't serve purpose to the story. Well, Gurgi kind of does. But they, they just, like, don't really add much, and mm-hmm. they're just there to be, like, annoying. They're there to be there, oh. and they're there to be, like, a plot point eventually, but because they are this kind of this very off-putting kind of character that not even the characters in the universe like, it doesn't give us anything to cling on to be like, oh, this is a good character, right? This is somebody I want to succeed or want to be around. It's more, oh God, the characters in this hate him. Why am I going to like him? Yeah, Yeah. I will say, so he is, his character's in both books and he's like a little liked, like um, it's like grudging respect almost that Taryn has for Gurgi in the second book. Like, uh, he doesn't despise him. Like, he does not this. Um, so so there's this big scene about Gurgi, like, trying to steal the apple and, like, leading him astray and all this stuff. Uh, so eventually Taryn just, just gets tired of him and leaves. Um, and then sneaks into the castle to try and help Henwen. Um, but of course, being a kid with very little talent or skills, he is captured almost instantly and thrown into the dungeon. Uh, another captive named Princess Elwyn? Elonwy. Elonwy, there we go. Frees him as she, uh, she tries to escape. In the category. magic. Yeah, hole. magic She's ball got this thing. Really cool little glowing jewelry that Wait, shows it was never, where to go. It was never like said, oh, I got this from. In the books, I'm pretty sure maybe. But like, it no, was never really stated. I'm sorry? She says she got it from her mom in the movie. Oh. So I think it's sort of like one of those things where it's like an ancestral magical thing. And then, so Taryn and Ellen, we get to talking while they're escaping. And it seems like the Horn King is just collecting all these prophetic things, trying to find something. Mm-hmm. Or oh, trying to find, yeah. So yeah. that's why he took okay. the bubble. So, oh, because he needed her bubble. Yeah, she, mm-hmm. he needed the bubble. Oh, okay. So in the catacombs underneath the castle, Taryn and... Uh, Alright, someone else Alon say it. God, that, I, I, sorry, that's uh, not gonna ever come out of my mouth right. Discovers an ancient burial chamber of the king where Taryn decides to just straight up steal the king's sword. Uh, yeah, there is some grave-robbing bullshit in this. Yeah, and I was like... And I think she mentions it later on like where did you get that did you steal that and he's like well he didn't need it anymore i was like wow okay, well, yeah, okay. in terrence's defense if i was in a dungeon 
and I wanted to get out and I needed a way to defend myself. I would take the sword too, especially if it's a magical sword. Like, yeah, but he didn't know it was magical. He just stole it because yeah. he was like, oh, I can be a cool knight with this thing. And yeah, I guess without any things, training, a sword is probably more of a hindrance than a help in a lot of ways. No, I think so. I think that picking up a knight, uh, a type of sword would be, like, I agree with Ryan, I would want a sword as well. I would feel bad grave robbing. He doesn't seem to have remorse. Mm-hmm. He seems to kind of just be blinded by the fact oh my god, this is a sword, I'm finally a knight. Yeah, and that's exactly what He's also a child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he uh, arms about the king's sword that contains magic that allows him to effectively fight the Horned King's minions uh, by just straight up destroying the axe and the guy who's just like freaked out to hell. And I was like, alright, so that's that was a good scene. I, I liked that fight scene because it like started out like, oh my god, he's going to die here, and then the sword kind of activated in order to Mm -hmm. save him and i was like okay so that's kind of cool i i liked that part of it i think that it did what i think should be done better in uh sword in the stone i think that it kind of caught me in a way that that like is like yes this is real magic this is something that it activated to protect him it wasn't just for anybody right i will say though in sword of the stone it does make sense that the sword doesn't like do that for him um because per arthurian legend because i was a giant nerd for this stuff (laughs) but uh the sword isn't what's special so arthur initially gets this sword from the lady in the lake as well she just hands the sword because he's destined to be the ruler of Mm -hmm. the land of britain i guess um and then the sword in the stone was also another way for him to get the sword like uh for him to get a different sword yeah so in order to like prove uh himself as king he like takes out the sword and then he like loses it in battle i think and then the lady in the lake gives it to him it could be opposite i'm not always great with the timeline of arthurian legends because <laughs> they're all they've over the been... place like reorganized and retranslated so many times it's like a, i don't know i yeah, will say though uh, yeah uh overly sarcastic production productions um they have a great youtube video about arthurian legend and they do do a pretty good job of ordering events but they mostly do it with the stories of the knights rather than arthur yeah. i really liked her section on lancelot because he's a very complex figure yeah actually i'm yeah I'm, I kind of hope that they'll, like, as much as, again, we'll get into this later when we get into Sword and Stone, I would love to see more of that, those legends get turned into Disney movies, because I think they could really do them justice. I just don't think they did. Uh, But that's for another podcast. We are down in the catacombs, and they find their third companion. That's right. It is a comically middle-aged bard named uh, Fluter Flam. Right? Yeah, that's yeah, pretty good. It's good enough. Um, with the help of uh, Gertie, they are able to escape. Uh, sorry, wrong thing. They escape from the castle and they find Gertie. That seems more likely. Um, and upon learning that Terran has escaped, the Horn King orders the his goblin and chief henchman, the Creeper. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, to send the dragon creature to follow and capture Terran along with his friends. Well, I thought that was really interesting too, when he sends the dragon off and they create this huge chaos while they're escaping. 
because the dragons are, I guess, not tame. They're wild animals in this story, so they're on a weird, like, sort of bird perch, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're chained to it. And so they see the person escaping, so they run at Terran, and they're flying, and they rip out their little stand, right? And they just start hitting everyone with it. And I just feel like <laughs> there could have been better planning involved when keeping a wild animal in your, in your area. Definitely. And, like, is the Horned King Tiger King in the past? <laughs> yeah. So following Hen Ren's tale, the four companions stumble into the underground kingdom of the fairy folk or the fair folk uh, who have Hen Wen under their protection. When the kindly king, oh, Edileg, that's good enough, Edileg, uh, reveals the cauldron's location, Terran decides to destroy it, which makes sense. Like, if that's the one thing that'll bring the king back, obviously that's exactly what you should be doing. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So the group, along uh, with one of the obnoxious fairies, Doli, is assigned to lead them to the marshes of Morva, while the fair folk escort Hen Hen Wen Wen. back to care Daldben. Man, think just say Daldben. Just say Daldben because that's his name, and care Daldben just means like the The place place of Daldben. Yeah. So at uh, Morva, they learn that the cauldron is actually held by three witches, which I kind of um equated to like hags and that kind of thing like the hags of the swamp or those kind of legends i wrote down walmart sanderson sisters (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i thought of the fates because you know like the power oh yeah that too yeah Yeah. there was like that one witch that was inexplicably attracted to fluter which i'm not trying to like bag on fluter but he's like no help this entire story no (laughs) does he add anything does he add anything yes yes at the very end when he says they have to bargain to get the uh black cauldron back oh true like he he does like know how to sort of deal with the fey folk yeah um but fine fine um, yeah, but the whole, like, that one witch with the longer hair, and uh, who she's, like, weirdly in love with him and obsessed with getting a man, yep. that reminded me of the Sarah Jessica Parker witch, which is... Oh my gosh, What's yes. Was her name Sarah in the movie? Oh, uh, I can't remember. But, but I know anyway, what you're talking about. Uh, I'm sh- I don't know if it was, like, in- intentional, but I feel like the Sanderson sisters, it, this Hocus Pocus was made so far yeah. after, but I feel like one influenced the other. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, so the so it's the crafty leader, Ordu, the greedy one, Orgosh, and the more benevolent, Orwen. And that's the one who falls in love with uh, Fluter. Uh, Ordu agrees to trade the cauldron to Terran for his sword, and he reluctantly agrees. So, actually, this is a point in the story that, that I think turned for me, and that went from being, like, this kind of half story to actually something like he has grown past like this fantasy of being the knight being the thing and he needs this sword it's now what can he do to actually do something for the greater good right to actually yeah move towards like actually making this goal happen and he became a real character in my mind at that point like he actually very very quickly and i think we probably could have used an extra like 20 minutes in the middle of here to get him to this point but it was that journey from being a kid to being a knight in a way right giving up something of yourself to uh serve the greater good 
Oh yeah, I totally agree. And it totally reminds me of these old legends that the books were based on of mythology of the Britain Isle, British Isles. And I totally agree. It's he's becoming a hero in the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just sort of stretched out the first part a little too far. I do yeah. agree that it was just like, this is kind of dragging in the beginning. And then yeah. all the action that I really loved from the witches onward, those were my favorite scenes. I did kind of like the fairies, but you know what I mean? These were like the beautiful scenes that are very Halloweeny and just very mm-hmm. spooky. And I love that. Um, I feel like if they took that time and maybe took their time more on the latter half versus sort of rushing through a bit more in the beginning or just putting some extra time somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like it would have been a movie because it's what, an hour and 20? Uh, 80 minutes, yeah. Hour 20. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't mind watching a two-hour Black Cauldron remake. I would love that. Like, I... I If it was done well. Yeah, if they were to Mm -hmm. make it now... With, like, you know, kind of modern Disney-esque uh, graphics and with a story that, like, was very comprehensible. I would love to rewatch this. Like, and it is yeah, and it's one of those, it's one of those cult classics that I think didn't get the uh, attention it deserved at the time uh, when it probably should have. Because it was scary, right? It was something that they weren't able to market to kids. But if this were to be made now, it would probably be, like, a Netflix movie or a Disney Plus movie made for adults made for older teens to young adults, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And the Dark Crystal t- uh, TV show that they did exactly. recently. Mm-hmm. Or was it I a did, TV show? It was, it was I TV did show. see uh, like someone on YouTube, though. They said they suggested that they should make this into a series. Yeah. It's better formatted because, you know, the books, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it would be better that. formatted to be a series. Hell, I've watched this as a live action as a full mm-hmm. series, right? Like, they're always looking for, like, that next uh, Game of Thrones. Like, something like this could be that, right? And it would be... I would. Looks. Yeah. And... But if Gurgi wasn't so <laughs> Gurgi. Yeah. I'm sure they'd find a better voice actor. Get Andy Serkis on the phone. Oh, he yes. Can make yeah. They'd give him, like, a golem voice, and it'd be good to go. Like, I think no, that... No, 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 no. I hate... Uh... <laughs> I hate Gollum's voice too. Oh, really? I love Gollum's voice. Yeah. I don't it know if works. I would go that federal works, for a character like Gurgi, because it's like he doesn't te- technically have a moral compass because, well, he's not human. So it's sort of like he doesn't subscribe to human rules of conduct, but he's also got a very good heart. And, mm-hmm. you know, he does genuinely seem to care for Taryn in the books and in the movie. Like yeah. he does seem to get attached and he yeah. feels really sad. That he showed Taryn initially where the castle was. He's like, you're never going to come out of there. And I'm sad. Yeah. Um, Alright, so before vanishing, the witches reveal that the cauldron is in fact indestructible. And its power can only be broken by someone willing to climb into it for the last time. Dolly angrily abandons the group. uh, Although Taryn feels foolish for trading the sword for nothing. Uh, His companions show their belief in him. And, uh, uh, God's got to say it again. Oh, Ellie. Oh. I don't know why I can't say this name. Alani. They say Alani. it French in like, Alani. Alani. Oh, there we go. Alani. Uh, and Taryn almost kiss as Fluter and Gertie happily watch 
which is creepy as hell. I'm sorry, but you are an yeah. old man watching two young people kiss. That's weird. Bruh, don't tell me, though, like, if you're your friend and you know two of them, you wanted them to get together and they're about to kiss, you wouldn't, like, at least giggle. And, like, Not if I'm, like, in my 30s and my friends, like, these are kids. Like, these are, like, probably, what, 13-year-olds, maybe? Like, that's weird. Yeah, I think they're yeah, 13. I, I see both approaches, you guys, because also I think he sort of sees it as, like, a puppy love because he's been in between of all their arguments so he kind of knows that they secretly do actually like each other and he sees that they you know they make up because they have arguments throughout the movie like taryn wanting to be the boss of everyone i guess yeah and elanui's like um excuse me no i have a whole ass kingdom (laughs) i know what i'm doing and um they sort of are like throwing sand in the Mm -hmm. playground and I guess if I saw, like, two little kids that I had, like, maternal love for both of them, and I knew they liked each other, I'd be like, okay, that's a little cute. But I don't think I'd watch it. Yeah, also the fact that he's known them for, what, maybe a day? Maybe, like, two days. Yeah, maybe two days. Like, that maternal yeah. love is not really there yet. I don't know. For me, the thing is, I have a, I have a big thing about this. Like, long, not saying, like, but this is about how long your relationship has been with someone like the intensity i guess um mm-hmm. so, i will die on a hill for that because my favorite <laughs> movies are that one uh <laughs> so uh at this point gertie then spoils the moment uh by giving flute flute uh a kiss on the cheek which was also a weird moment um uh, well he's not human he doesn't know that that's weird Oh, it's he not like it's not weird that they kiss him. It's just like weird at that moment to do that, like from an no. animation, like a storyboard perspective. Like, like if you're gonna have this like big kiss happen, like give it its time, let it happen, and then move to the next scene. You don't need to put in some comedy here. Uh, this is a dark enough story. We could use a little levity, but it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly, they are found by the Horn King's minions because apparently they have like super good tracking um well they have those dragons so i guess they can yeah. spot them from far off uh, they're magic the horn king lets them go though when taryn gets everyone out of the king uh the horn king goes like oh just like have someone follow him from far behind because he's going to lead us right to the cauldron true um uh, gertie at this point runs away before they take the cauldron and the three companions back to the castle the Horn King uses the cauldron to raise the dead, and his cauldron-born army begins to pour out into the world while holding the trio prisoner in view of the cauldron. Gertie decides not to abandon his friends this time and sneaks into the castle to rescue them. Taryn then decides to jump into the cauldron to save everyone, but Gertie stops him and jumps in himself, killing himself as well as the cauldron-born. Um, this was... Yeah, I did not feel as bad during this. See, I almost did, because I hated him so much for, like, so much this movie, and then he, like, made this big sacrifice for his friend, and he, like, he was so sad, he was like, no, you might not be Gertie's friend, but Gertie's your friend, and it was just, like, that moment, you're like, oh my god, oh, oh, I, I feel bad that I didn't yeah. care about you this entire movie, and now you're, like, mm, you're no. trying to pull my heart string a little bit. No, I liked that section because it's like Taryn's not the only one on his journey. And yeah. a big thing about 
like discussing mythology and talking about the proverbial hero, uh, hero's journey, especially through Joseph Campbell's eyes, who's um, this historian who does a lot of work with mythology. Um, everyone in the story is going through their own journey. So Elon Wee is learning, you know, how to fend for herself and Fluter's there. Um, <laughs> but Gergi is also learning what it's like to have a found family and what it's like to fight for the people he loves. Because mm -hmm. he seems like he's been alone his whole life. He finds these people who eventually grudgingly bring him into their little found family. And he shows genuine remorse when his friends are captured and he runs away. Like, you yeah. see him, like, have this face of regret. And he goes into this really scary place. And he knows there's, like, not enough time to get his friends free. And I think so that's just... where a series would actually do this really well. Because we'd actually have that more of that connection, right? Because this found family also happens really fast, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it seems to, yeah. again, happen within two days that he, like decides that these people are his family these people who don't really respect or care about him that much it seems for most of it uh so it's just very much like a that it needed more massaging in the way that a tv show could do or a longer movie could no, do. no for me it just i really dislike the character like call me heartless <laughs> i just really dislike the character that was like oh good now he can shut up <laughs> oh jeez, <laughs> it's fair I though. Know, like call me heartless. no it's totally fair like i as much as there was, like, that moment of, like, well, oh, I'm, like, this is really kind of sad because he's, like, kind of sacrificing himself to save the world, basically. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I didn't grow attached to him, so I didn't care as much as if, say, Taryn had jumped in. Like, that probably would have made more of an emotional reaction compared to Gertie jumping in. It's the most interesting part of the movie, though. It is, especially this next part. So... The Horned King spots Terran and blames him for what has just happened, saying that Terran has interfered for the last time. Even though technically he only interfered like twice, like, like that's not that many times. Uh, well, he's made the whole process kind of difficult because initially yeah. he wouldn't even help him with Henwen. Like he refused to mm -hmm. like show where the Black Cauldron was through Henwen. True. And then he like got all his prisoners out. <laughs> yeah. But still, like any that like. What two or three times? That seems like a weird thing to be like. Oh, you've one too you've many. crossed me for the last time. I think. Yeah, like this is yeah. still a child you're talking to, sir. <laughs> yeah, this isn't like a knight who's like crossed you like multiple times over the years. It's like nope, this is just a kid who came into your life two days ago and ruined your life, uh, pretty fast. Uh, mm. so as he throws him towards the black cauldron, the black cauldron. Uh, goes out of control and consumes the Dark King in a tunnel of fire, killing him and destroying the castle, using up all the power forever as his uh, companions escape. This was terrifying. I could see why kids were scared of this kind of thing. And imagine this being more terrifying, like, through animation and scenes. Like, he, like, melted into that cauldron. Yeah, it was like... Yeah, I would compare this scene to that Indiana Jones scene from oh, the first yeah. one where they open the arc and they have the melting faces. Yeah, I think whatever I think whatever rating the Indiana Jones movie had should be this one maybe, and they should put back in that scene they took out. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that might make it go up to maybe a fourteen A based on what they yeah. have people talk about it. So but I don't yeah. know what it is, but whenever there's a dead army being raised through magic i'm 
weirdly just like so into it i'm always so invested in it happening because i just love the visuals of it do you think it comes from like an affinity and love for zombies i think so i really did love zombies for a while um I read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and I still oh, that think good. that the movie version of it is genuinely amazing. Wait, do you mean the I movie love the movie. You haven't? No, I haven't seen the movie. Oh. I've read the book, uh, but I didn't okay. even know there the was movie a movie. The movie is so good. There's a great fight scene between Lizzie and Mr. Darcy. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, okay. they turned the proposal scene, the initial one that she turns down, into a fight scene, and it's so good. Oh, that's amazing. All right, that might have to go onto my list of movies. Uh, almost all of it's on YouTube now. <laughs> nice. Um, oh, what's her face? The person who was the live-action Cinderella 2 is Elizabeth, I think, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I like her. She's a good actress. Um, she is. So now that we have escaped the... Everything is done, and everything's good and good to go, except for one thing. The three witches come back to recover their now inert black cauldron. I don't know why, why they wanted it back. Like, it was... My thoughts exactly. Also, like, me too. It's just like, how fucking entitled... Okay, sorry. How entitled are you thinking that, oh, we traded this, and now we can just take it back? Yeah, you like, know? it's useless now. Who yeah. needs it? But it's got no more power, so why and, did they want it and, back at all? Well, they had that huge pile of cauldrons in their hut initially. Like, they had just a like, mountain of them. So mm-hmm. maybe you need a lot of pots for spells because they maybe. use, like, two different ones in the, like, when yeah. they confront they the like, and they start to turn them into thousand of them. Why yeah. do you need this useless one? So Maybe they want to take over the world too, Ryan, but with spells instead of zombies. Maybe. But yeah, I thought that <laughs> was really weird. Useless. If someone took over the world with frogs, you wouldn't stand a chance. Um, you guys yeah, knew it. If true. people got turned into frogs, no one now that, Yeah. Ugh, uh, so from here, uh, Fleur de Fleur, Fleur de Ferd, Fleur de Fleur, he finally makes his comeback to actually be a useful character and says, if you want it back, we'll have to deal. At this point, uh, the Orwen, or the witch who loves, uh, loves him, uh, offers up the sword. And again, it's one of those moments, like, why are you offering this super magical sword for a useless pot? Like, Maybe it's not actually useless, and they can, like, do something with it, but I don't they remember. They have use for the sword, though. Yeah. They're witches. They use magic, not, like, swords, even though it's a magical sword. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he makes, uh, they decide that instead of the sword, which would turn Terran into a hero... He wants his friend back. He wants Gertie's life. And Brad should have taken the sword. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh but it like it seems out of nowhere that somehow these these witches can now resurrect him from the dead. So like if not they're... just that though, isn't it supposed to be like by the rules of the black cauldron, no one can ever come out. Exactly. Well, here's what I think should have happened narratively. The horned king gets sucked in. All they want is one life. There could have been maybe a loophole in that where because the Horn King got stuck in, sucked in and he's like still technically alive, I guess. They don't specify. I don't Did think they hinted someone who's been raised though. Yet. Did they um, ever like say, oh, it needs a, a, No. I mean, I guess they said the one that comes in that can never go out. Yeah, they need like one so that maybe because the Horn King gets sucked in and trapped, they don't need that other one that went in. 
Yeah. Maybe both of them. I don't know. <laughs> it it just seemed like a very convenient way to end things. Be like, oh well, you guys are witches, so you can bring it back to life, right? It's like, well, if they're that powerful, they could just bring back the Horn King. Like, like if they're yeah, that powerful, they don't, they don't need anything. They don't need this magic sword in the first place. No, I would. They don't want the sword initially, too. When Taryn tries to trade the sword, um, they're like, "Why do? Why would we want this?" Um, <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh, it's a magic sword. Now we want it." Yeah. Um, but then, here's the thing: is even though the witches do like turn them into frogs, and they're not exactly nice and helpful, they're not evil too. So I don't think they would ever bring back the Horned King because. Nobody likes him in this movie. He's very unpopular. True. Not even his uh, his minions. Like the the yeah, goblin thing was super like happy when he died. Yeah, yeah, and that tiny little goblin who also I did not like his voice either. No, the like right hand man of it the was morning. more bearable, and it also yeah. fit his character very well. But also, I will say, I wrote down, like, this guy needs a new boss. Like, this is an mm -hmm. OSHA violation. He gets beat up. <laughs> okay, what is with that trope, too? Like, in all these Disney movies, like, the little, like, the follower who is, like, in an abusive relationship. Yep. Just like Gaston yeah, and uh, LeFou, and, yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I mean, that's kind of how life is, too, right? Like, the weak trying to, like, cling on to the strong kind of thing. Like, that's just been stories forever. Yeah, and then I would also say maybe they're trying to balance out, especially if they have all the comedic relief on the hero side. Maybe they need, they think feel like to balance it out, they want comedic relief on the villain yeah. side. By abuse. By abuse. Yes. Too. Yeah. It's the seventies, Ryan. True. They think that's funny. <laughs> uh, so after they, still they... Think it's okay to beat the shit out of their kids, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So after they reunite, uh, he pushes. Uh, the two to kiss uh, and the four then journey back to Dalbin's place and Dolly is there as well and they watch a vision created by Wenren Henren I'm having a lot of trouble with these names I apologize everybody um, and Dalbin finally praises Terran for his heroism as they walk off into this creepy portally thing i know it's a vision but it looks like a creepy like portal to hell um and then it and then it ends and it's like uh, okay how is that like why does he know the fairies like why didn't the fairies help them from the beginning if he knew that them already well, like the fairies don't want to be around humans like they have actively taken themselves away from the human world they don't give a shit about us they don't want to know about us and but Guess they... what? Even if the Horn King came to power, even though they don't like the Horn King, it probably wouldn't affect them because there's no way for his minions to ever come in contact with the fairies. But he I also will say, know... what Dolly seemed to know Delvin. Like he, it was like he put him on that like path to help Terran and them. Well, yeah, because mm. Delvin is a sorcerer, and he like is he's in the middle of the forest, so statistically he probably has met a fairy you know yeah magical connection yeah exactly and he, and he also has a magical pig yeah and also so because the fairies know where care dalbin is and they bring henwin there i think that's a pretty good plot device for getting henwin out of the picture because they just needed her to be done at that True. point even though she's kind of, she and elanwi are my favorite characters in the movie 
Henwen is the biggest victim in the movie. Poor Henwen. Like, all the things that she has to go through. Yep. I agree. She's just a pig. Just trying to be a pig. Like, how much does she know, like, exactly what's going on? Because it seems like she's a fully conscious being. At times. Like, she's not well, I mean, Like, she, she can predict the future. English. Yeah. You know? She can predict the future, so she knows. Yeah. But yeah, I think and there was just something missing from this ending. Like, there needed to be another beat in here before they walked off from the sunset. Like, it felt too know. rushed. Like, they maybe like another, like, like another, another five minutes. That's all we needed. So, Taryn and Elon, we should have had a moment at the end when they're going home. Like, Gurgi and Fluter go off and, like, happily and, like, skip away and they have a moment. They could have, like, a cute little, like, maybe a kiss on the cheek or something, and she could be like, to me, you're a real knight. You're a real hero because of what you or did. Or another argument. That. Yeah. Actually, that'd be, that would have been good. Like one of those, ooh, so do you guys know the 10 things I hate about you? Oh, yeah. Great movie. Yeah. It should have been an ending like that, where it's, like, a fight, but also, like, a, you know, like, a cute little kiss. At the yeah. End. Like, yeah, but it needed something yeah. in between this, because it... I found that the parts that I liked about this movie, they rushed a lot. And the parts I didn't, they just let drag on for too long. Yeah, no, and that's the thing, too, for me. It's, like, objectively, it has all the makings of a good movie. But I don't like it. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. I think that it dragged in too many spots and then rushed through the spots that were actually good storytelling and good movie making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also... Which is interesting because... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, even, like, the part with the Horn King, like, he died so yeah. fast and with, like, no effort. Like, it was just like, all right, well, we've captured you all, and now I'm dead. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, no a lot of things are rushed. And I don't know how people, like, on YouTube or in my research, whenever I look this up, people are like, Disney's hidden masterpiece. And, like, I don't see it. <laughs> you know? I would see their true hidden masterpiece is Treasure Planet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or Atlantis. Or Atlantis is also just Atlantis a is good. amazing movie. That So Atlantis and The Mummy with like Rachel Weisz, that's kind of what made me want to be an archaeologist. Yeah. I really yeah. wanted that. Um, but I, so what I was thinking was, you. it was Ryan that brought up that there's the old guard and the new guard, right? Mm-hmm. They were yeah. playing in this movie. I think that maybe the old guard who wanted to be a little more cutesy i think they kind of dragged out this movie yeah no but the thing is a lot of them retired so when the new guard wanted to do it the old guard was like being entitled and they're like because they still thought it was their movie because you know it took like 15 years to make yeah and to be fair they actually brought some of the old guard like some of the original nine so the nine old men they brought some of them back out of retirement to make this movie but like what you okay so you get this like super dark like high fantasy text, you know, which is objectively really beloved and whatnot. And then you want to change it into like a kids movie. The text itself is not, well, I mean, it is technically made for kids, but it's not like made for little kids, you know, you yeah. can't. They should have made this a PG-13 movie and marketed toward uh, young teens. Did Disney oh, yeah. do that at the time though? No, like, Disney didn't do anything like that. Well, no, I mean, I mean, it came out in the 80s, right? I mean, they did yeah. Tron. Yeah, but that yeah, that's true. But or, Tron I think was it came animated. out in the seventies, or they oh, like made it's it in nineteen eighty five release. Nineteen eighty five release. Yeah, date. but they shelved it, right? 
So yeah, they shelved it for like fifteen years. I think it was being made. Yeah, so yeah, they, they acquired the rights for the books in seventy three, and production gate uh, began in eight nineteen eighty. Uh, actually, I think okay. production originally, like when Disney was working on it, started in 74. I think I read yeah. that. Uh, and then it got, yeah, the production itself, like, so after the script and all that started in, like you said, 80. And then it took four years for them to release it. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. so Jeffrey Katzenberg is the guy who cut up this movie. He's the one who ordered the scenes to be cut. Why? And also, he's made really good decisions in the past, though, with movies. Jeffrey Katzenberg has done a lot of great stuff for Disney, so I think this is just well, like a... No, what well, well, after this one, though? Because maybe this was like a learning experience for him. Yeah, he was very early, uh, new, very newly a chairman. Yeah, he became a chairman so, in 84. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, sense. I think it was during this project is when he became chairman, so... And yeah. then he was around for, like, the renaissance of Disney for a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. So learning, yeah, yeah I think I agree experience. with Ryan. It's like a learning curve thing for. Yeah, but overall, like, I think that this had the same kind of problem that a lot of movies seem to have, especially this time, that were limited by time and limited by money. Um, they couldn't tell the full story, and they tried to do too much with too little time, and because of that, it suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've said, like well, we they had said, all these deleted scenes. Maybe it was better. I think it was probably scarier, but they've only Should've kept it. it. Yeah, if it if they went scarier and more closer to the source material, I think it would have been better. Um, I also, it would have been better, but what if it bombed more? I wonder if this were to be released now, like how it is almost. Uh, maybe some upgrade graphics, but if they kept those twelve minutes and kept the original ending if kids would have actually been scared by it because nowadays we have basically horror movies for kids. Like there's so many yeah, movies. That are jaded these days. So like, the more yeah. recent, Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say like, we're so desensitized to all that stuff at this point in our lives. Like kids that are like 13 are watching, you know, saw and Halloween and all that stuff. And, like we're so desensitized to the idea of horror as a adult genre. And it's now becoming kind of a young teen kind of drama with everything from scream to uh i mean there's scream queens there's all kinds of like even riverdale has become like a horror right and those are meant for young teens riverdale's a mess so oh yeah it of is yeah i wouldn't River, Riverdale's different, different. but like i'm just saying like yeah. that genre is very much becoming very popular with young teens so it's supposed to be a horror yes. but again with the kids movies that disney does market especially in the uh, more recent years with moana and frozen like the first frozen movie there's a lot of horror in that movie mm-hmm. if you think about it oh yeah with elsa completely locked yeah. away full of fear and whatever but that's more realistic say, too so that's not scarier yeah if mm-hmm. they almost went more like how they did with moana if they did want to keep black cauldron kind of sweet and kitschy and have that one very dark scene like they do in moana where she's trying to bring the heart back to tafiti and it she turns into this giant freaking volcano woman and it's yeah. terrifying um i would i think that the idea of having it being kind of a sweet little story and then having very dark things creep in and then having a very dark ending that can still be done very well so i don't know 
there's good ideas behind this movie, but I think it just wasn't executed properly. Yeah. Like I yeah, said, that's, I think that's the answer to the question, too, mm-hmm. that I was saying. It's like, there's a lot of things that are objectively good, but it's just the execution that made it not good. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. the animation itself is very beautiful, and they innovated a lot with the CGI, like he said. The voice like, acting, other than Gargade's, perfectly decent. Yeah. 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 And again, like, this is the new, and like, like I said, like, this is the style of Disney now, too. Like, this animation style became huge, right? It You can see this throughout most of the animation at this time. Uh, I think they really inspired other things, too. Like, the Lord of the Rings animated film uh, had the same kind of, like, look and feel. Maybe not the same line work, but, like, that same feeling behind it. And Sword in the Stone yeah. had the same feeling behind it with some of the exact art kind of thing, right? So it, it really did push the studio forward in a good way but at the cost of huge amounts of money well hey conspiracy theory what if this was this one of the driving forces for the studio to realize oh we need to shift directions conspiracy theory maybe i think yeah well I, i would say that they probably took some safer bets after this i can't actually remember what movies come after this directly but I would say that there's a shift. Yeah. I will say, though, like, in my research for this, Disney still has the characters of this movie in costume for their parks. Like, they still acknowledge this. The most hidden Disney movie. Yeah, I don't think it's out of the question for them to make another live action. Yeah, it's part of Fantasyland. They're often there. Uh, Okay, but would they do it, though? Yeah, I think so. I think... Because, like, okay... I would say if there's Sorry. enough interest behind it, I would say that they would definitely do it. Because, one, it's money. Like, why wouldn't you make something that people like? I don't but... think there is enough interest for it. Yeah, I think be, that is like, too much they... of a cult classic. They don't even, like, put it on... <laughs> they don't even put it on the front page of Disney+, Plus though, for, like, you know, for, like, for Halloween movies. True. Like, this is one of the... You have to search for it. It's, like, one of the most hidden Disney things. Like, even, even when I was, like, looking up the... On Disney Plus, it didn't come up in the research results until I typed in black. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was yeah. a little disappointed that it wasn't included in their like Halloween selection for the holiday because I was like, it is pretty. It's a spooky film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it totally fits in. Around later. after this movie came the Great Mouse Detective, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Oliver and Company, and then we start getting into like I said the the renaissance so we start getting little mermaid uh rescue is down under uh beauty and the beast so like that comes after so this actually seems like it might be the we see that switch into cgi for sure in those movies but mm-hmm. i think that maybe it because we started to see a shift in animation style around oliver and company to little mermaid again uh oh definitely for like drawing i will style. say that um the movie completely uh at, directly after black cauldron the great mouse detective it's one of the best adaptations of a sherlock holmes story that i've seen mm-hmm. and it is one of my favorites it's great mouse detective yeah, have I'm you guys excited. seen that one? Oh yeah i, I loved it not. as a kid oh ryan you would love it seriously watch I think it i have the least disney experience out of the three of us like i've obviously watched a lot of disney movies but i think i have the least 
Yeah, I, and it's actually exciting that you haven't seen it because then you'll get to see it for the first time and bring that kind of perspective. Um, but I want to talk about it at work with him, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have lots to talk about as next time we actually get to jump into The Sword and the Stone, one of my least favorite Disney movies of all time. Uh, I haven't watched that either. Oh, really? Oh, that's going to be exciting too. Um, but That's what we're doing next is Sword and the Stone? Sword and the Stone is next. Uh, and then we jump into, I'm not sure if we're going to do it, but we have Mary Poppins after that, which. Hell yeah. It was right before I where I start to like Disney Mary more. Poppins. I did not. It, okay. it scared me as a child. Another episode. Another episode. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't like the mix of animation with real people when I was little. Oh. Yeah. It's great. You just hated that whole thing. Yeah. It scared me. Just like, uh, when we get to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the, that freaked me out as a kid. You know which movie does it the worst, though? The 80s version of The Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I remember that watching was, those literally movies. Literally, it's just sketches. Just like, uh, I remember having to watch those in class. Uh, that one, as well as, like, what was it? The Silver Chair? And mm-hmm. a couple other ones. Like, That's my favorite book. Yeah, I remember those all the scary Narnia me. books. But yeah. So... You should do The Chronicles of Narnia for the series. Are those Disney? They're, yeah, they're Disney. Disney. Oh, nice. Disney yeah. wanted a franchise like Harry Potter and like, oh, you know, Lord right, of the Rings because they, they wanted a fantasy. Yeah. Money, you know. Fair. And then um, real quick, just a question about next episode. Is it cool if I bring in some of the like legends that this stuff is based in and like do. do a debunking area? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Because I really hate what they did to... um. What's the guy? I forget, but um, so Arthur like lives with his uncle and the nephew, and they make the nephew like a really shitty person. But in the uh, legends, he's actually a really good knight. I'm trying okay. to remember Percival, I think. Oh, Percival, yep. Uh, we'll awesome. figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out <laughs> next week. Um, but until then, uh, do we have any final thoughts before we jump into the next section? Okay, question. Oh, yep. Other movies from around this time, became, even though they didn't do well in the financial, or like financially in the box office, they became like instant classics after like the Aristocats, Robin mm-hmm. Hood, mm-hmm. Sword in the Stone, Fox and Hound. Why didn't this one do as well? You know? I think the other ones weren't bombs. I think that's a big part of it because they didn't be- do well though. But they did better yeah. than losing twenty one or twenty three million dollars for a company in the seventies. Right. It's like, adjusted for inflation. Um, no, that's not that's not adjusted for inflation. Oh God! That's yeah, like a, like a bajillion dollars. So like that's why. So like Sam said at the start of the show, like this almost put them under fully, right? Um, oh. I think the reason that it didn't was because the parks had opened and that made a lot of money. Um, oh, okay. But yes, yeah, uh, they almost closed the animation department entirely. Yeah. Does Disney have a ride for this at one of the parks? No. I don't think so. They might have in the past that got rebranded as something else, you know? Yeah. Mm. But, like, when um, you say, uh, when we talk about things like Robin Hood, like, it, though it didn't do amazing at the box office, compared to the amount of money they spent on it, it did. They only spent $5 million on it, and they got back 32 right? So... Okay. They made a lot of money, they just didn't cost a they lot They made more money. profit. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So they had more returns, not like... Uh, but also, like I said, Black Cauldron yeah. wasn't released on VHS for 12 years uh, until after, right? So people didn't know about it. People didn't care about it. 
detriment. That's, like, that's to their detriment. Because, like, what? I I would have actually been born <laughs> and been actually quite old when Black Cauldron finally came out on VHS. I would have been, what? Uh... Well, they really buried it as well. I don't think Disney wanted this movie to see the light of day. They make such mm. weird decisions with some of these properties that they decide to bury. Um, Which like is why with- it's on opening the vault. Yeah. yeah. Well, with Treasure Planet, I will say it's got such an interesting history to it that I would love to get into for the episode we do on it. And it's kind of sad because the guys who kept asking to make it for years when they finally got the green light and when the movie was set to go out, they like set it against probably one of the biggest box office releases. I It was either Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And we made it came out the same weekend as that yeah that's Uh, just sad and then they didn't even like make that many trailers for it and they didn't very uh they didn't really advertise just like Nightmare before christmas right Nightmare before christmas was a uh something that they didn't want to even release and to the point and i think that this probably had a big part of that too right like this they tried to release something kind of creepy and it didn't do well well when they greenlit think about how much when they greenlit oh, A Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, they didn't even release it under Disney's thing, right? They li- released it under yeah. Touchstone because they didn't yeah, want to like be associated. Yeah, and like Tim Burton. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think so. about how much money Disney would have lost, though, if they didn't do Nightmare Before Christmas. All those people who shopped at Hot Topic circa 2009. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they would have lost now. <laughs> all that money, you know? And, and then they make so yeah. much money for Halloween mm-hmm. at the parks, which is almost totally branded with nightmare before christmas stuff which is the only time i've ever gone to disneyland was during that and it was amazing i loved it, it is. have you guys listened to like that nightmare before christmas album but like the one where like all the artists do it so like uh panic of the disco does oh, yeah. uh what is this and then yep. like, amy lee does uh sally song Ooh. it's great i'm no, sure we'll love it yeah uh, listen it's to really it good. halloween mood <laughs> yeah uh awesome well, let's jump in to our final portion. And everyone, that is our rankings. Uh, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. And we each and every time we watch one of these, we talk about our opinions about certain areas. And with that, we have voting that we do on the villains, the movie itself, the main characters, the music, which I don't think we'll do for this one, and then the animation itself. So, like always, let's start with the villain. Uh, in this one, the villain is definitely the Horned King. So, in our placement, we have, in number 11, the Ringmasters and the Elephant Snoots from Dumbo. We have Aunt Sarah in number 10 from 100... Nope. Oh, what is that one from? Uh, it's from... Lady and the uh, Tramp. Lady yeah. uh, then we have the Crappy Hunters from Bambi at 9. The Headless Horseman, The Weasels, and The Bartender from Ichabob Crane. Uh, the Evil Stepmother from... Oh, well, I really need to put down the other ones. Uh, this would There's be Cinderella. from Snow White. No, that's Snow White. Snow White yeah. 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 And then we have Lady Tremaine and the Evil Stepsisters. Oh, there we go. Uh, <laughs> from Cinderella. Here, Thank I'm you. editing it for you. Don't yeah, worry. I see that. Uh, we have Cruella DeVille at number five. We have Hook at number four from Peter Pan. We have the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland at number three. We have the Coachman, Honest John, and 
Gideon as well as Stromboli in number two. And of course, we have Maleficent in number one. Where do we think that the Horned King should be? I, best character in the movie. Definitely yeah, the best I character in the movie. I think he's pretty high. And also, I do want to say, here's the thing. I think he might be above Maleficent for me because did he even ask for the consent of the dead soldiers? No. No. So not only is he raising a big zombie horde, he's doing it unwillingly. Fair. Oh. Question. Who do you think would win in a battle? Maleficent or the Horn King? Does the Horn King have his horde? Oh. Oh. Without the I horde, I would say Maleficent. Like... With the horde, I would say the Horn King. Hmm. Yeah, if it's just Maleficent against the Horned King with, or, hold on, Maleficent as a dragon against the Horned King and his minions, I think he might win. Because they're invincible. They're indestructible army, right? So they can't die. So they would just keep coming at her until she eventually got overwhelmed. Uh... Or, like, hold on, but in the movie she does, like, turn a bunch of, like, weapons and stuff against her into, like, like, weapons can get, like, turned into bubbles or air in this hmm. universe, too. That's fair, too. And then she also has, like, thorns and, like, time magic, because she can make everyone, like, fall asleep and be frozen in time. Yeah. Mm. But he probably has powers, too, right? Like, the fact that he is able to live forever just without his own magic, like, you have to imagine that if he didn't have to, like... Yeah, they really should have gotten into that a little bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. I wanted to know more about the Horned King. Also, we saw, Maleficent, horn we saw Maleficent get killed by a single knight, too, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay, magic I, I want him yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think... I think I would actually put him as one as well. I think that he had a... I would put him a, as two. Yeah, it's hard because I, I don't know who would have had the better story behind... Like, I think that he wasn't built up enough, but neither was Maleficent, really, in the movie. I think a lot of our ranking comes from the idea of Maleficent, maybe more than the actual character. She also has better style and color theory in the way she's presented. She's got the dark purples and blacks and the bright lime green. She's just more dramatic. Yeah. Whereas he's very subtle. He's demonic and horrible. He's creepy. I think that's part of it, too. Like, he's actually got that sense of fear when you look at him compared to Maleficent, who, again, it might just be because pop culture has her so prevalent in everything um, that she's less creepy to look at and, like, less creepy to watch. But, oh, she she does have that sense of foreboding. Question. Do you think the Horn King should be part of the Disney villains brand? Yes. Yeah, he would be great. But only bring him out for the Halloween, I think. Because if he did it all the time, I think he'd scare some kids. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Maleficent is more friendly. Based. Yeah. Even though she also has horns. Yeah. I think and... it's kind of just, like, pretty. Yeah. That's I also true. think that she has, like, this intelligent foreboding where he's, like, creepy foreboding. Like, she seems to mm-hmm. have, like, a plan and, like, this, like, commanding nature. Whereas he, like, forcibly commands the people beneath him. With fear, right? Yeah. The people underneath Maleficent don't seem to be afraid of her, whereas he rules like a like a dictator, really. Like he rules through fear uh, of getting maimed, hurt, and killed. 
right? Mm. So where do we want to put them? I, I'm okay with one or two. I think that they... I put two. I vote one. Oh, God. You have um, to be the tiebreaker then. I think I'm going to put him as number one then. I think that he scares I... me more and is, in my mind, a better villain overall. That's true. If I saw the Horn King in the middle of the night, I would be more scared of him. Oh, I'd be scared of both. But, like, could you imagine? Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like if on the street, I would be attracted to someone who looked like Maleficent. But then if I saw the Horn King, I'd cross the street. And not and just because like, he's a man. Because he's freaky. Yeah, no, the face, too. It's, like, it's gaunt and everything. Like, if Maleficent showed up, I'd, like, scream. But, like, the Horn King, I would shit my pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I right. agree. So the next one we have to talk about is the main characters. Uh, in number 12, we have Ichabob Crane. In number 11, we have Pinocchio. 11 is Dumbo. 9 is Aurora. 8 is the Dalmatian Fam Jam. 7 is Wendy. 6 is Snow White. 5, Bambi. 4, Alice. 3, Mr. Toad. 2, Lady from Lady and the Tramp. And 1 is Cinderella. So I would guess in this one... Do we want to say it's the four of them, or do we want to just say it's Taven? It's Taryn. It's obviously Taryn. Taryn. You're yeah. having such a hard time, man. Yeah, I'm so sorry. sorry. It's it's been a long weeks. <laughs> um, Tell you what, um, I'll stay after and I'll do as close as I can with some of the names. You can put it. You can put my voice over yours. <laughs> it's totally fine. Our listeners will understand, right, listeners? Yeah, you guys get it. Uh, yeah, it's it's not Uh, he's trying his best. Yeah, I tried my best. Um, That's what matters. So where do we want to put him? Because there's a part of me that wants to include the other ones. Well, maybe not all of them, but... How about no. Taryn and Kalanwi? That's what I would say. No, I don't think she's main character. I think she's just a very strong deuteragonist. Mm -hmm. Which is nothing okay. wrong with that, yeah. but I don't think she's main character. Alright, then yeah, let's stick with think... uh, Taryn then. It's Taryn's story, and I have an idea of where I want to put him, but... And I think I know where I want to put him as well. Okay. Uh, I don't like him, so... <laughs> I don't know, I just... Well, here, I'll start. I, I want to put him at number five. I want to put him below Alice and above Bambi. Okay, I actually am doing something kind of similar. I want him under Mr. Toad, above Alice, because I... So Mr. Toad is more likable than Taryn because he's just a fun character however Taryn does genuinely like change and mm -hmm. become like an adult and sort of realize the reality that he's in whereas Alice just sort of becomes an adult that's true um, that's true no I would put him between Wendy and the Dalmatians okay really down pretty far yeah I plan but mm, maybe because mm, mm. I, I don't for me, at least no for me he's Wendy is a stronger main character. She really is, in my opinion. Sorry. In your opinion, that's, that's fine for me. No, that's fine. But for me, she's uh, well. Maybe it's just also because I do have nostalgia because I watched Peter Pan before. You know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't like Taryn. Yeah, that's I, the thing. I see. I, the problem is I, I didn't like, like him. him for the first half of the movie, and then I really liked him after he gave up the sword, and like he finally had that aha moment like oh like you know what this isn't about me Not it's about everybody about yeah. Um, yeah okay and that's why i think i put I mean, it above bambi um 
And I would even put it above Alice, too, because I agree. I think that he kind of realized he was becoming, like, a real person and actually showed it, whereas Alice kind of just became that person and ran I think away. Alice is mostly just, like, the straight man to the insanity that is Wonderland. Yeah. And she does kind of learn a lesson in the end about, like, you know, how to act right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so I guess... Also, I think that Alice in the books really colored my opinion, and because Alice in the books, not that Alice in the movie is unlikable, but in the books she is a really fun character to be around, and she's just as ridiculous, but in her own way, through her inner thoughts, it's very funny. Mm-hmm. So oh. I'm kind of open about where he goes as long as it's like around where Alice and Bambi are. Yeah. I would say so let's put five. I would say put him at four. Because I agree. I think that to talk about Alice, I think that's totally true. So I would put number yeah, four. Yeah, I think he's below Alice, definitely. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's maybe yeah, put him I'm right good. above Bambi. Yeah, right above yeah, Bambi. Yeah, he'll be five then. Yeah. Taryn. Awesome. Which, so honestly, I love that name, Taryn, and I do want to name, like, something Taryn and something Elanwi and something Henwin. Yeah. Actually, I've got a friend who's... a good, strong name. Yeah, I've got a friend named Taryn, but it's spelled differently. It's spelled like, with a Y. There's a hot Welsh guy who came up to me, and he's like, my name's Taryn. Like, ooh. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. And I was talking to Ryan before you came on, Ben. I was like, I think I really like this and the fact that it's a Welsh-based um, film is... I think I like that a lot because it's, like, my people. Yeah. <laughs> like... Your cultural heritage. not even, like, oh, a million years ago, my family came to America. Like, my mom came to America mm-hmm. from there. But also, weirdly, I have that weird, like, white American thing of being completely disconnected from mm-hmm. my indigenous culture. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, so... We usually do talk about the music. I don't think there's a point here. It doesn't really have, like, standout music. Um, yeah, I would say disqualify it. Yeah. The so I'm just not going to serves its purpose. Yeah. And I think that if they pronounced it more, like, if... Apparently the soundtrack is very renowned, uh, if you were to just listen to the soundtrack. But because it's yeah, very... Yeah, that's what I found. It's internet. put in the background too much, and it's dulled down, so you don't even notice it. What I think would be really good if, because I I did like some of the stuff they were doing with the soundtrack, if they sort of pumped it up with the same beats, but like how they do in Fantasia, especially with the action scenes, where they like Mm -hmm. sort of punctuate the action, I think that could have been good. Mm -hmm. Like I would have definitely at least rated it above Bambi, but that's because I despise Despise Bambi. Yeah, so do I. Uh, so I think we can jump right into the animation. So in number 11, we have Dumbo. Number 10 is Adventures of Kebab, Crane, and Mr. Toad. Number 9 is Peter Pan. 8 is Bambi. 7 is Cinderella. 6 is Alice in Wonderland. 5 is Lady and the Tramp. 4 is Snow White. 3 Pinocchio. 2 Sleeping Beauty. And 1 101 Dalmatians. Now, I'm going to be honest. I want to put this number 1. Very Okay, good. Very I wanted to I think it's the first time they're using CGI. I think the art style is very indicative of this time uh, for the animation. 
and it really brought something new to the table and something that was very visually engaging even if the story maybe wasn't i think that's really what kept me drawn into it um so yeah i would definitely say number one all the way i don't know i mean it's pretty and i mean i understand because it it kind of like shifted as the first cgi really used in disney so i can understand that point of thinking but at the same time it wasn't like interesting enough for me to like stay awake the whole first time i watched it. i had to watch this movie two times for this podcast <laughs> yeah so so where would you want to put know. it ryan would i guess the only i guess the biggest thing for me is that i think that the animation style and cgi and stuff is better than 101 nominations and i really like 101 nominations but like the artistic style of it okay. i really like that uh, i would I mean, with it being number two, if that's how you feel, Ryan. Yeah, I like I yeah. like stylistically. I'd recently like a hundred more donations. Yeah, yeah, because it's like honestly, it's the flavor. Reason, yeah, the reason I want to put uh, Black Cauldron so high is because of the last half. Because I think the way they sort of really abruptly change the ambiance of like, oh, all the sky is almost completely gray all the time now, and there's these clouds that the witches sort of appear in. Mm-hmm. That was and... so cool. The way everyone gets sucked back into the cauldron you know yeah, yeah. i'm okay with playing number two. i think that yeah. it yeah. it it did what sleeping beauty did but better uh-huh I yeah agree. i agree and then with 101 dalmatians it's just really consistent and i do agree yeah, there's style fidelity. Right, that we both really loved the animation style it's mm-hmm. very cute and 60s and kind of like impressionist almost and the backgrounds were pretty amazing like the mm-hmm. uh, almost watercolor type uh, background. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm totally okay with that. Background. So we'll, we'll put that number two. And I think that it'll probably stay up for quite a while too, which is awesome. I um, think so. So finally, we have our last ranking. And that is for the movie overall against the others. In number 11, we have Bambi. In number 10, we have Peter Pan. Nine is Dumbo. Eight is The Adventures of Ichabob Crane and Mr. Toad. Seven is Sleeping Beauty. Six is Alice in Wonderland. Five is Snow White. Four is Pinocchio. Three is 101 Dalmatians. Two, Lady and the Tramp. And one is Cinderella. Where do we want to put the Black Cauldron? Number nine. As a movie. Number nine. <laughs> above Sleeping Beauty. Above Sleeping Beauty. No, number nine. Under Sleeping Beauty. Under Sleeping Beauty. Under so Sleeping Beauty. I would say Under Sleeping Beauty, too. I really disliked. I really disliked Dumbo. And I wasn't crazy about the adventures of Bob Crane and Mr. Toad. The only reason I think they're that, that good, high is that they get special. Yeah, I think yeah, they get pushed okay. so up. Number because eight, fine. I'm fine with number eight, number nine. I just, uh, can't be above Sleeping Beauty. I, yeah. yeah, I don't think that it's above Sleeping Beauty either. I think that it was just, it dragged too much in too many places and then rushed the good parts of itself. Yeah, the first half was so long. Like you said earlier, the first half was so long. And then the second half, it's like, okay, let's get to the point. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what honestly I heard though. It. If we, since I do have the books or like the first two, if we get a Patreon, I'll read to the patrons so they can know just how good these books are. Yeah. <laughs> also, Gurgi ruined the movie. That's true. I ruined agree the that. movie. He. I don't think it ruined um... the whole ass movie. <laughs> okay, not ruined the movie. Ruined the viewing experience for me. Yeah. I <laughs> would say that he is maybe the third most unlikable char- 
not character, but sidekick that we've seen. For the first, no. for the first scene, I hated him. Because like, I would, okay, you can have your apple back, but I've been into it. Yeah. Because I would say that I don't, I, I didn't like Dumbo's mouse. I thought he oh, was okay. probably the worst. And he was like an irresponsible parent. So yeah. and so was Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket was just in it for him, and he didn't actually care what happened to Pinocchio. Yeah, and like you said in the review, he was like weirdly horny the whole movie. Yeah. So I think that I hated those two sidekicks more than I hated Gertie, but I think at the end we got that redeeming moment from Gertie. Should we have characters on a list now? Oh my god, yes. Okay, let's characters number one, Gertie. Yeah, Gertie can go on. I'm okay with that. Hated characters. I'm making the list. I'm making the list. Okay. Uh, number one can be Gergi. Oh, see, I, 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 I still don't hate him as much as I don't like uh, the mouse from Dumbo. I'm fine as long as he's on the list. Yeah, uh, I would so say Gergi, the mouse from Dumbo. I, I'm sure Jim. I'll find his lane later. Jimmy Cricket. Yeah. Um, hey, Ryan, did you yeah. ever listen to our episode on... Um, Pinocchio. No, okay. not yet. The thing, the Jiminy Cricket character is so unnecessary because so Pinocchio is a book ser- uh, It's like a serialized novel from Italy, and yeah. the same like story that Jiminy Cricket is introduced. He like pops out out of nowhere and like tells Pinocchio like, oh here's what you should be doing, blah, 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 like, trying to be a voice of reason. And Pinocchio kills him. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> yeah. We mentioned this in the podcast. <laughs> so he did not need to be in the movie, like, at all. I mean, Disney marketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's Tweedledee and Tweedledum, whoever added that. That's yeah, I, I really dislike them. They still creep me out. And I'm an adult. <laughs> What's his name? What's this name in Captain Hook's sidekick? In Smee? Peter Pan? Oh, I love Smee. Smee? Oh, I, I love don't like... Smee was okay, great. I'm, I'm just being petty. I'm just petty. <laughs> I think you I'm are. In mood today. I'm but in the mood today. I'm sorry. I'm sure that we will add more characters to this, but overall, I actually like a lot of the Disney characters. Of, uh... Okay, we should read the list. We should read the list. Alright, so we now have hated characters. I don't know if this is going to be in order. We'll probably adjust this later, but we have one is Gurgi. Two is the mouse from Dumbo. Three is Jiminy Cricket, and four is Tweedledee and Tweedledum. It'll be an ever-revolving list because my hate for Gurgi never ends. <laughs> I'm sure we'll find someone you so hate more. Oh my god! He's really not a great character. I do agree that he should yeah. be pretty high. I did find him annoying. Yes. Uh, great. So that is our lists. Um, let me go up to the top here so I know exactly what I should say at the end. So. Do we have a question of the day? Um, Ryan, do you want to go since I did the last one? Uh, okay, my question of the day is what piece of folklore or fiction or fairy tale that Disney hasn't done yet do you think that they should oh, that's do? A, that's a really good one. Yeah. All right. Do you want to just write that into the document so we have that for next time? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'm writing it down in my notebook, too, so we don't forget. Mm-hmm. 
I'll just I'll... make a document thing question of the day. All right. Well, we are running very long today, so we are going to wrap it up there, everybody. Thank you all for listening. Like I said at the top of the show, we're opening the vault. You can catch us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, if you listen to a podcast on a place that has ratings, such as Spotify, which now has one, or Apple Podcasts, it would be very amazing uh, to get a review and that five-star rating to help us get more noticed. Uh, we will be starting up our social media channels. I know I've been saying that for a while, but we actually have a plan now, as well as some things to go out. So that's very exciting. And uh, once we get that out there, it would be great to join us. We have Instagram, we have Twitter, and we will probably have a TikTok. And all of those links will be in the description of this podcast. We like to do our own things here as well. We have projects outside of this. Uh, so Sam, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing on uh, the Digital Sioux? Yeah, so I have my own podcast, Digital Sioux. Um, it is a monthly podcast because it's just me doing the research and the editing and the producing. Um, it's a food history podcast. And for this sort of Halloween-y episode, I almost did a cannibal episode. People can write in if they want that for next Halloween. But this time I did the history of cotton candy. And I know you guys are thinking, and yes, I will be talking about the elephant water slide. And that's mm -hmm. all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I look forward to that. Uh, personally, I run a podcast called uh, The Cooperators Reviewers Couch, as well as The Cooperators Reviewers Couch Pursuit of Platinum. Both of those will be starting up again next month, finally. Uh, my friend uh, has finally finished school. He's settled in his job, which means we finally have time to get back into things. And we will be starting with the newest Ghostbusters to round out our Ghostbusters in review. Um, yeah, so we've done the first ones. Uh, we did Ghostbusters 1 and 2. We did the remake. And now we are going to be doing uh, Afterlife. And I am so stoked about it. Uh, it looks like are it's going to be gonna a good... Oh, are sorry. you going to do the TV show? Maybe. We've talked about it. It just depends on time. So it's harder for us to do a full TV show all at once and do an episode on it. But uh, especially as we are going to be doing the Book of Boba Fett come December as when that releases, oh. as well as uh, continuing with our Witcher uh, in review, uh, as we did the first season. The second season is coming out this year, and we will be doing that as well. So we have a lot on the horizon, everybody, uh, as well as on the Pursuit of Platinum. I've started to record my episodes and have a couple that are ready to release next month. So I'm extremely excited to get all that out. And those descriptions, those links will all be in the description for both my podcast and the Digital Sioux. Ryan, are you working on anything yet? Oh, so recently I just started up my blog on Medium. It's basically a think dump blog where I just post a lot of my opinions and my takes on different things. And then also I'm starting up my channel really soon and um, it'll be taking on different topics and it'll just be engaging in sort of like a philosophical and ideological debates with different things. So I figured that out. That's awesome. Well, when those Yay. links yeah. are available, make sure to pass them my way so that I can share it with our listeners as well. They are available. Oh, awesome. Well, if you send those my way, then all yeah. of those links will also be in our description of this podcast. And that will do it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'm Ben. That's Sam. And that's Ryan. And this has been Opening the Vault. Bye. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs>